Welcome to Montgomery County Community College and the Human Service Program. Let me introduce myself. My name is Maureen Rose and I am the coordinator of Human Services and Gerontology here at Montgomery County Community College. I'm very happy and pleased that all of you have enrolled in the course and are interested in the helping profession. Let me begin by telling you a little bit about myself. It was not too awfully long ago that I was sitting in the very seats you are in right now. I graduated the Human Service Program with an AAS and Certificate in Gerontology. I went on to Chestnut Hill College and majored in Human Services. From Chestnut Hill College, I attained a degree at the University of Pennsylvania in the field of social work. I now have my MSW degree. Lo and behold, I am able to come back and achieve a long-term dream that I had always had, teaching. And what a pleasure it is to be able to facilitate the very same program that I graduated with. I do hope this semester will be beneficial to you and I am willing to help you in any way I can. Please do not hesitate to give me a call if you would like to discuss your career plans or your academic plans. My number and office hours can be found on the syllabus. Thank you and welcome. Let's begin by taking a look at the definition of the human service professional. In looking at the human service professional, we will define them as a generalist. This concept is very fundamental to human services. The role of the generalist defines the professional as one who is able to work in different settings with a wide range of diverse clients. The relationship the professional has with other professionals also defines the profession. Ethical standards is on the top of the list. The generalist must be able to articulate guidelines for professional behavior in the field. Competence and training further support the designation of human services as a profession. When we speak of ethical values, we must take into consideration the dual focus on the client and the helper. In the role of human services and as a human service professional, we will be challenged to face many problems encountered by our clients. We must look at them as a whole person. The responsibility of the human service professional includes developing a relationship with the client and other professionals. Professionals help clients use problem-solving processes. The helper must learn about the client and his or her environment. Understanding the client's environment is crucial in the problem-solving factors with clients. Human service professionals must be able to work in both the micro and macro systems. Most of them work in a variety of mental health and human service organizations. Most recently, we have many graduates go on to work in aspects of clinical research and alongside uh, clinical directors as well as hospital settings assisting social workers. Many do go on to become social workers. Early in the history of human services, graduates work primarily in mental health. However, today, our, as I said before, our graduates have expanded both in job sites and the populations that they serve. Throughout this semester, we will have a series 
of guest lecture speakers where you will be able to take a look at the environment, the work setting, and some of the places that our graduates have worked at. Some of our guest speakers will be graduates. We are going to begin today, though, with a guest speaker from the University of Pennsylvania. She's going to talk a little bit about clients that she serves, suffering, the aspect of suffering, and also the aspect of death and dying, and how we as human services may have to face these challenges. Hello, and welcome to Human Services, and our topic today is ethics and the dilemmas that one would face in the medical profession. As we all know, many of our students will graduate from this program. Many of them go on uh, to careers such as working in social work in a hospital setting or perhaps assisting social workers in a hospital setting. We have many nurses that come and take uh, courses in uh, aging so that they are better equipped to help their patients in the hospital. And we are very privileged today to uh, have a guest speaker uh, from uh, the, our medical model that we look at, and uh, her name is Joyce Akawa. Welcome, Joyce. Joyce is a clinical project manager. Uh, she works in clinical research at the University of Pennsylvania, and Joyce has been doing this for approximately 10 years. Uh, prior to that, Joyce, I believe you were working in nursing, correct? Yes. And uh, Joyce uh, has uh, a master's degree as well in English and is currently pursuing her master's degree in bioethics, which fits perfectly into our discussion today on human services and ethics and some of the uh, dilemmas that our workers will face once they get out into the workforce. All right. Um, Joyce, I'm wondering if I could call upon you to perhaps um, tell us a little bit about uh, some of the examples that um, uh, you may run into out in the workforce um, dealing with clinical research. I'm sure that you deal with the aspect of suffering all the time. And uh, there's uh, many ways to look at suffering, and I was wondering if you could um, uh, describe that or define that for us in some ways? Yes, thank you for asking. Um, I'm very concerned uh, about how we do clinical research for one, but also in the wider picture how people uh, deal with suffering because uh, the field of bioethics um, is concerned with conundrums, with dilemmas, with making very hard decisions. And in the 21st century we're confronted with more of these ethical dilemmas than ever before. And that's because people are living longer. They have a consciousness of their rights. There are big family groups that have to be uh, included in decision-making that may not be understanding what the ethical dilemmas are. And there also is the medical community that isn't really certain where they should go in treating some of the people that are facing end-of-life issues. So suffering um, has a, a meaning that we have to delve deeper into than we have before. And uh, one of the big problems is the paradox in medical um, education and 
um, medical care where physicians are taught to care for the sick and to give um, optimal treatment. However, sometimes that optimal treatment leads to profound suffering. And in that case, the uh, persons at the uh, receiving end of the suffering can experience uh, limitless uh, damages that are unknown to the caregivers. And that's why social service workers um, have a very large role to play. Sometimes these other issues, um, including the, the suffering that goes on, um, need to be addressed by this very special group of people. Okay, interesting. Could you give us maybe some ideas or some examples? Um, in terms of why, why does um, this paradox exist? Um, many people understand that way back in the 17th century when science was developing, um, Descartes, who was a very influential philosopher at that time, um, tried to give science um, a, a, a way to practice without the church's intervention by promoting science as the body that dealt with the human body. And then he left the mind to the church. Um, when the mind became the church, the person became associated with the mind part of the body, and science got left with taking care of the body. And that kind of ambiguity still exists because in medical training right now, even in the 21st century, there is very little uh, attention given to physicians learning how to deal with suffering. They treat the body um, and anything having to do with the mind or how people feel sometimes isn't addressed. And so we continue to um, be concerned about the ethics of treating um, the mind and the body, which now should not be in a dualistic situation. They are definitely combined. And though we know that, in actual practice, we sometimes still divide the mind and the body. So um, we, we, we probably are looking for new definitions of personhood and self-determination, and these areas really um, introduce us to the ethical dilemmas um, in terms of who a person really is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I hear you, Joyce. and. Um I think you're touching upon something that we in the social service field have um, been wanting to do for quite some time and um, coming up with different ways uh, and solutions to this is, is definitely a little more difficult. But I'm glad to see that uh, since you're in the medical profession and in clinical research that they're beginning to take a look at ways that we can bridge the gap between us that work in human services and those of you in the medical profession. Mm -hmm. So I am wondering um, if you could add a little bit of information um, for us that um, what are some things that we would need to look at? Uh, what are some ways that we could begin to solve this dilemma? Um, and um, as we uh, research this topic ourselves going uh, mm -hmm. uh, through the program here, 
um, perhaps you could give us some insight as to where to go uh, if we are interested, and I know I am, and many of my students certainly would be, um, um, to look at this aspect of suffering and the medical model in such areas as depression, suicide, um, and I'm sure some other areas such as the end of life. Mm -hmm. And I know you're uh, very experienced in dealing with these issues, mm -hmm. not only in the research end of it, but I know in your profession as a nurse, you certainly must have had a lot of ethical dilemmas to deal with when it concerned mm -hmm. those particular topics. Well, it's, it's everything you've said in terms of how suffering underlies all of those. Uh, the suicide issue, end of life, people um, being cared for in our medical um, institutions, um, ordinary lay people who are asked, um, what do you think about suffering? Very often associate pain with it because this is the way society has looked at suffering. Um, if someone is in pain, they're probably suffering. But if we really look at pain, there are many levels to it. A woman in childbirth may consider to be maybe considered to be suffering, but maybe that suffering leads to a, a crowning achievement rather than the suffering of someone who has perhaps metastatic bone cancer, who needs to implore physicians for more pain control and really define her suffering because it isn't leading to anything like that. Um, people who are depressed, um, in modern times now it is uh, considered to be a problem with um, underlying suffering. Their personhood has been damaged or inflicted with uh, some kind of um, loss of self-esteem or, or other issues, losses that can't be um, restored. and. Beneath depression is a very real suffering. And if physicians and other workers don't validate that suffering, the suffering is ongoing and unmitigated. So um, to get at the root of the suffering, we really have to know who the person is. And social uh, workers, caregivers, if they enter the field of medicine, will have to look at the dimensions of persons. What are those dimensions? Um, one of the dimensions is that everybody has a past and a future, and when people suffer, uh, those things can be damaged. The, the future may be gone. The past may be blurred. People with dementia can't um, focus on either one of those because they're lost in the middle. Um, Everybody has a culture, a society, a political body that they're associated with when they have to be removed from those because of suffering. They feel loss, but they don't often describe that. They feel fragmented too because sometimes the medical professionals in their society and culture um, ignore their pain. And in some cultures of the world, people don't speak about pain and suffering because they're expected to be resilient. Um, people um, sometimes say, uh, I would rather know where my suffering and pain come from because if they could attribute themselves as the reason for it, that's better than thinking it was some capricious or arbitrary assignment of pain and suffering. So we have to understand that sometimes people do blame themselves 
for having pain and suffering and in their eyes that that is the best way to look at it and mm -hmm. that brings up again another dimension of um, personhood people's um, emotions how they look at themselves and the meaning of their suffering and some people can be very transcendent they can think um, this is just temporal I'm going to be uh, released from this soon into some sort of an eternal existence um, but in other people's case they've lost that sense of transcendency maybe nursing home patients when we look at them they have just not even found a place to look for themselves. They're just sitting in the middle of the quandary of um, how is it they're suffering. They, they don't even know. So um, I think social workers in particular have a real role in helping the medical um, profession define how the person is really suffering and, and look for alternatives to just um, looking at the, the, the symptoms or the situation of the suffering. Joyce, could you uh, define for us uh, what you mean by the dimensions of personhood in relationship to our discussion on helping those who are suffering? All right. Um, there are many, many areas of, of, of a person that are affected when suffering occurs. And um, most of these um, are, are pretty easy to think out, but I guess in many cases we're not really focused on them because we tend to just listen to what a person is saying. Sometimes we have to look behind what a person says and look at who they really are and where they came from and where they think they're going. Um, one of the real big dimensions of uh, a personhood is what role they have played in society. Uh, is it a mother taking care of her children where her mothering will be affected because she has uh, encountered breast cancer? Her role will be disturbed. That That is a real underlying reason for suffering. A doctor who is um, temporarily uh, put out of his uh, work for physical reasons, he will feel displaced because he no longer is the healer, he is the patient. Uh, those roles really define who people are. Um, another dimension that we don't always think about is that we really exist in relation to other people. When we suffer personally, we may feel like we're taken out of that relationship. We have to redefine who we are because now we're someone who has a suffering issue. Um, some people um, hide behind the relationships they have with others and keep their personal issues to themselves because they're afraid of re rejection by that other group. Well, we, we need to look in um, on that aspect because it provides a lot of meaning for people when they still feel connected to other people. It may diminish their suffering if this dimension is not so much affected and people can help them see that they are still connected. Another area is uh, people have a, a role in, in, in culture, society, politics, 
um, th th they had their own identity in these. Uh, we, we have to understand cultural disparities. Uh, it, it isn't always possible because of language to understand these, but sometimes through translators or other family members, we can understand why someone may be recalcitrant to tell us about their suffering. They may be waiting for a cure but never ask for it because um, they're afraid it won't be given to them. Um, there's a lot of fear involved in some societies when it comes to suffering. People would rather see a non-modern medical specialist. They'll go to a, a village person rather than seek true medical care because um, they, they trust the local people more or they may not have the finances. So um, very often suffering is very much directed, uh, uh, connected to where that person fits in society and his particular culture. Another threat um, to personhood um, occurs when people feel they have no um, future and they uh, look ahead and don't know how the suffering will be alleviated. Um, sometimes doctors overlook this particularly because they're in the midst of a treatment plan. They look at their treatment plan and not the person's perception of it. Uh, if, if you have a metastatic bone cancer and know that there isn't much time left, um, you might want to have a, a bigger role in deciding things. But if you're in a hospital setting where the physician is doing the treatment and the whole operation revolves around his treatment, you may be lost um, and your personhood is, is disturbed. Um, another area that's, that's very important is pain and suffering affect the body. Um, people lose their concept of their body. They, they no longer see it the way they used to see it before they got their diagnosis. They have to be able to grapple with what their body is becoming. And sometimes healthcare workers can help with this. Um, if someone loses a limb, it takes a lot of um, understanding of the suffering that goes underneath um, losing a part of the body. And there are groups to help with that, but a lot of people don't think that it's, it's meaningful. Let's say there is someone with breast cancer who has had to have a mastectomy. Some people will say, well, get on with life because at least you don't have the cancer. Mm -hmm. For some people, that may be okay, but for others, it is not. They still miss that body part. They still wonder if they will get another cancer, perhaps in another area of the body, and lose that too. So loss of body, uh, a perception of the body being maimed or destroyed or just um, in some way damaged is very real uh, to people who suffer. And um, in other cases, uh, people who have a spiritual faith, they've been taught that if they suffer, they won't suffer in vain, that there is a, a, a glory to it, that there is some sort of a redemption or restoration that takes place. For some people, this may not work, and they may have to um, allow their anger that their spiritual dimension is, 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 has changed. They, they no longer believe that suffering is part of um, a spiritual odyssey they're on. And we need to understand, uh, too, that 
this could affect how they ask for treatment. People who think they're suffering for a spiritual reason may not ask for treatment. They may expect a supernatural power to um, provide it. And this is also a very cultural issue uh, for some people um, who, who have um, many types of um, spiritual um, uh, ideas about the end of life. Um, and, and, and they may feel they don't, they're not in control of their own destiny because they are a spiritual being. Um, the last one that's very important is um, this transcendent um, feeling people have. There are some very resilient people who are able to trans transcend periods of suffering. They look beyond it. They see it as temporal. They have good family support or they have good internal reserves. But there are other people who lose it. And they may feel, where is this going? I don't even have an ability to transcend the suffering. And they may either clam up or they may become very angry. There may be all kinds of manifestations, but they definitely come unglued in this area of being able to overcome. And they also have a, a strong um, feeling of guilt when that happens. If they are the less resilient, they feel like they should have done it better. Uh, we have to be aware that guilt and fear play very big roles in how long people suffer and how they um, deal with it, especially chronic suffering. Um, so I think when healthcare workers understand the parts of personhood that suffering affects, they can look for them. They can look for the signs of these areas that are being affected and uh, speak directly to them. Thank you, Joyce. You're welcome. We have a larger role today than perhaps we did a decade ago. Absolutely. Um, and more of a challenge since the focus is consistently on let's cure the pain. Yes. Um, negating the person's feelings and also training. Um, I would think that many people going into, whether it would be nursing or uh, any other aspect of medicine, perhaps mm -hmm. even um, our new young physicians coming up the ladder, that maybe we need to incorporate a little more on um, this particular aspect of treating the whole person as opposed to just the pain and the symptoms of the so am I correct in summing yes. it up that way? Exactly. Um, and, and we know this in theory. There are many courses about treating the person, but th there isn't a lot of focus on how to do it. Mm -hmm. and, and, and I think we may not even have the social infrastructure in place yet where people can actually talk about it. We have groups. We have all kinds of online programs. But, but we still have to come back to understanding um, how people define themselves and, and sort of try to get at the root of the individual's feelings. Mm -hmm. And uh, when we apply those um, solutions, we're applying them to where the suffering really is taking place. And I can give you an example of that. If someone um, is facing an end-of-life situation and is thoroughly um, upset that life is just continuing without meaning. Mm -hmm. 
right now the legally accepted way to end life is to withdraw oneself from care and even from eating. Sometimes families will not allow that. Doctors will not allow that. Um, we, we may have to look at that person and the reasons for their withdrawal of even their own nutrition as a way that that person has decided to be the person um, at the end of life that they've always wanted to be. Um, perhaps in control, um, able to end it in a decent way. Um, we may have to understand people who will decide to do that. Mm -hmm. So you're touching upon another aspect um, that we as human service workers have to look at and that is evaluating how we ourselves look at that particular dilemma um, and analyzing how we feel about it before we embark on understanding and helping those in that position. Mm -hmm. Is that correct? Yes, okay. absolutely. Okay. Um, I have a friend whose father recently acted on that wish. Uh, it took the family a very long time to understand that um, this person did not want to eat any longer, allowed himself to just die a natural course mm -hmm. over a week's time and uh, the family uh, eventually came to a peaceful resolution that this is the way he decided it. Um, many people will call it self-euthanasia or uh, self-suicide or whatever, but it, it may be considered something else. Mm -hmm. uh, this person is simply letting life take its course for him. All right. and, and Joyce, how how did the family receive help? Obviously, um, you are you must have been the nurse on duty or in some capacity involved in this particular case. So, um, how how did the family get that kind of structuring, get that kind of help to come to that place of peace where they accepted uh, that particular individual's choice? Um, I think in this particular case. Um, the father made his wishes known over a period of time. And I think by doing that, he was educating his own family. Um, and, and this is the best case, when the person will speak up and let the suffering be known. The intolerable suffering of um, death coming too late. There are papers written about the least worst death might be the one where the interventions don't take place, where the calm, peaceful acceptance goes on, or a deliberate decision is made, for example, to withhold uh, nutrition at the end. I think by, in this particular case, the person was very adamant over a period of time, mm -hmm. and that allowed the family to um, accept the last week as his week to die at his own decision. It certainly is uh, an in-depth description of something that we definitely need to look at as social workers and uh, future um, workers in, in this type of profession. And I know it's something that's very hard um, for many of us to look at. And, mm -hmm. and so now you're um, describing two things that we need to add to our vocabulary in a different way. Uh, one is suffering, but also the other one is the aspect and the topic of death, mm -hmm. which, as you said, we many times in America do not like mm -hmm. to say. And uh, 
I think we need to start looking at suffering and death uh, in different ways here in order for us to reach out to help others. So, um, tough topic. Thank you for bringing it.